Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a three-week Life Together series where we'll learn how we give ourselves fully to the way of Jesus and His mission. Thanks for joining us. Well, hey, everybody. Good morning. My name is Brian. It is good to gather with you. Today, we conclude a three-week Life Together series. If you're just joining us here, we've been talking about our mission. Our, our mission is growing disciples who make disciples, taken directly from Matthew 28. That is why we exist, to make disciples. And then we've also been talking about our vision. And our vision, you can see this on the screen. Would you read this with me? This is our vision as a church. It is to see people of every generation giving themselves fully to the way of Jesus and his mission. A a vision statement is a picture of a preferred future. It's something that compels us. It gets us up in the morning. It's something we are going to put resources behind to accomplish. And over the past three weeks, what we've been talking about is our strategy on how to accomplish that vision. And what we've shared with you, if you're following on your notes, our strategy is life together in community, in formation, and today we're going to talk about on mission, on mission. Two weeks ago, I shared that we frequently get asked several questions. How can I get more involved? What is my next step? How do I grow in my faith? How am I spiritually formed? And our best effort to try to answer that is we created this card. You might have remembered this from several weeks ago on your seat. We created this, and and today we're going to talk about the on mission. You can see that portion of the card on the screen. And under on mission, you can see serving. And what that includes is inside our church or outside of our church. Living on mission includes serving. Many of you already do this. Many of you already do this. But if you need some ideas on how to serve, and how to get plugged in, you can text. We have text code. You can text the word serve to 217-546-4818. You will be taken to our website where you can sign up for any number of things that we can begin a conversation and you can serve. But life on mission includes serving. Life together on mission means we practice whole life stewardship. The second thing listed under on mission is whole life stewardship. If we can put that card back up, whole life stewardship. Everything we have, we're given by God. We're just entrusted with it for a time. We are stewards. That includes our time, our talents, our resources, our money. When you give your offerings, you are partnering with us to see people of every generation giving themselves fully to the way of Jesus and his mission. And then life together on mission means we partner with global, regional, and local missionaries and organizations. When you give... When you see yourself as a whole life steward and you partner with us, a portion of what you give goes around the world to advance the name of Jesus. 20% of our budget goes to local and global partners. Last year, that was over $650,000 that we gave away to take the name of Jesus around the world. To learn more about stewardship, to learn more about our global partners, you can go to our website. But then there's one listing under On Mission that I didn't talk about, and that's missional living. And that's what we're going to dig deep on today. That's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time today. And the reason that I want to focus on missional living is that I believe it's the foundation 
and the cornerstone of life together on mission. Because if we don't understand this, if we don't understand missional living, if we don't practice this, and if we don't get it right, then it affects everything else under on mission. So to talk more about missional living, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, we have black Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. You can find the Gospel of John chapter 20 on page 881 of those Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. We mean that. We want everybody to have a copy of God's word. So I also want to say this. What we're going to talk about today is much more about how we think and how we see ourselves than it is about something we need to do. It's all about how we see ourselves, and that's because our belief shapes behavior. And I'm confident as we talk about this, if we begin to think differently and see ourselves differently, then we will live differently. And as we get started, let me begin by asking you this question. I'm going to have you think on this for about 30 seconds. I'm actually going to invite you to turn your notes over and write your answers on the back of the notes. About 30 seconds. It's not a competition. There's no right or wrong or how many you list. But what characteristics of God come to mind when I ask you that question? What characteristics of God rise to the top for you? Just write them on the back of your notes about 30 seconds. All right, how many of you wrote compassion? Compassionate, anybody? Yeah. Uh, Holy, holiness. Uh, Wise, wisdom. Just, justice. Love, loving. How many wrote sending? Chad Reeser, a former missionary. Fantastic. (laughs) Awesome. Great. Hey, way to go, Chad. We rarely think of that. We, we don't think of that a lot. But if you're following in your notes, what we need to know is our God is a sending God. Throughout scripture, God's sending nature is evident from Abram in Genesis 12 to the angel in Revelation 22. Literally hundreds of examples of sending language portray God as a sending God. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament, shalak, for send, to send, is listed nearly 800 times. 800 times the word is used. And 200 of those instances, God is the subject of the verb. He's sending someone. Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah. And it doesn't end in the Old Testament Sending languages all over the New Testament as well. The most comprehensive collection is in the Gospel of John, which we're looking at today. And it's used in that Gospel nearly 60 times. The majority of uses refer to God as the one who sends and Jesus as the one who is sent. 
The most famous of those verses, you probably know this verse, is John 3.16. Would you read this with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Sending language. He gave him. He sent him. And what we need to know, if you're following in your notes, that the core of the good news is the fact that Jesus was sent. It's the heartbeat of the good news. And because Jesus was sent, the kingdom of God has come near. And because the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the powers of sin and death no longer have the last word. Thank you, God, for sending your son. The core of our gospel is that Jesus was sent. Now, if we dig a little deeper into the shape of Jesus' life in John chapter 20, it provides us with insight about how Jesus saw himself and his mission that he extends to us. So where we are is Jesus is talking to his disciples. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day after being crucified. He rose in the morning, and what we're about to look at takes place that evening, that night. So if you're following in your Bibles or on the screen, John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20, it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, if we just stop there and put ourselves in this moment, can you even imagine what's going on in the disciples' minds? These followers of Jesus are seeing their rabbi, the one they followed every day for three years, the one they saw nailed to a cross three days earlier, the one they saw laid in a tomb, and now he is standing in front of them resurrected from the dead. He shows them his nail-scarred hands and his feet and his spear-pierced side. And I'm imagining there was some cognitive dissonance going on, right? I mean, there, there had to be, like, what am I seeing and what am I experiencing? This does not make sense. And we've all had some situations like this, probably not to that extent. But we can all feel this and put ourselves in this moment. I remember 20 years ago, Sarah and I were recently married. We went up to Chicago for our anniversary. So it was around Christmas time. We're on Michigan Avenue, North Michigan Avenue to be exact, Water Tower Place, if you're familiar. And you go in Water Tower Place, there's escalators. And I'm on the escalator and I hear, hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. And I look around, I'm like, who in the world, who out of 2.6 million people in Chicago know me? And I turn around, it was my sister. I had to do like a triple take. Are, are you kidding me? What is my sister doing in Chicago at the same time I am? Uh, that's what it feels like. You've all experienced something like that. So that's the way these disciples are feeling, but to a greater extent. So there's disorientation happening coupled with extreme joy. The one who was once dead is now alive. And in verse 19, we're told these disciples are scared for their lives because they think what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. So it's no wonder Jesus' first words to his disciples were, peace be with you. Calm down. It's really me. Peace be with you. And after Jesus says, peace be with you, it is fascinating. 
to see what Jesus says to his followers because he could have gone any direction. He could have gone anywhere with what he said to them. But in John chapter 20, verse 21, we're told what he said. Would you read this in the first grade box in your notes or on the screen? It says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. I love what Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, says about this. You can see it on the screen. He says, what Jesus is saying is I'm a missionary. And now all of you are missionaries too. What he's saying is the shape of my life is sentness. I have been sent. I have a mission. Now my mission is the model for your life. Jesus makes it clear that he's not only sent by the father, but now he is the sender and he sends his disciples and he sends us. And what we need to know from this one verse, if you're following in your notes, is we must see ourselves as sent people on mission with Jesus. We are sent people. We are his representatives. We are his ambassadors. We are his image bearers in this world. We are his plan A to tell people the good news of Jesus. The first thing on the mind of the resurrected Jesus, the first thing on the mind of the resurrected Jesus was reminding his followers that they had a mission and he was sending them. I find that fascinating. And what's the mission? You might be asking, Jesus goes into greater detail in our mission in the gospel of Matthew chapter 28. It's commonly known as the great commission. You can see it on the screen. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the mission, to go and make disciples. That is more sending language. We'll see that again in Acts chapter one before Jesus is taken up into heaven. He sends his followers. If you're following in your notes, we are sent people and our mission is to make disciples. We're sent people. But I think what happens, because I'm guilty of this, I lived this way for a long time. I would think being sent is reserved for missionaries who sell their possessions and move to a foreign country. And sometimes that's true. God does ask people to do that, but all of God's people are sent. All of God's people are commanded to go. There is no special class of sent ones. I love what John Tyson, a pastor in New York City, says about this. He says, in the language of scriptures... All disciples of Jesus are sent to someone and someplace. Jesus does not appoint some to be missionaries and others to sit on the bench. Jesus sends all who follow him out in the world to proclaim the gospel and bring his kingdom. So if you've ever asked this question, if you've ever wondered it, I I have. How do you know if you've been sent? How How do you know? Have I, God? Once you've called on the name of the Lord and you've been forgiven of your sin and saved, you have been sent. If you're a follower of Jesus, congratulations, you're sent. You're sent. So the question is no longer if we're sent, but it's where and how. We are a sent people. And if you read the Great Commission, 
In its original language, the words, therefore, go and make disciples, it's a continuous action. So it's more like as you are going along in life. So being sent is not an add-on to our already busy lives. Why I like that tense of verb is it's not an add-on to our already busy life. It is our way of life. Right? We join Jesus in his mission everywhere we go. I read this interview with Mother Teresa last week. There's one part of it that blew me away. The interviewer asked, Mother Teresa, how did you know you were called to serve the poor? She said, I wasn't called to serve the poor. And I was like, what, what are you even talking about? She goes, I was called to follow Jesus, and he sent me to the poor. That's it. We are called to follow Jesus, and he in turn sends us out. So Jesus sends his followers to go in verse 21. And then he says these words in John chapter 20, verse 22. Would you read them with me in the second grade box in your notes or on the screen? And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. We can't stop in verse 21. I mean, that, that's great that he sends us. It's so important. But if we don't continue on to verse 22, then we're setting ourselves up for failure. Let me explain just a little bit. When someone follows Jesus, they place their trust in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. They receive the Holy Spirit also called the spirit of Jesus who lives in us and he instructs us. He leads us to all truth. He helps us understand scripture. He convicts us of sin when we've lost our way. Have you ever been convicted of sin? That's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. If you're following in your notes, the Holy Spirit also guides us and empowers us for mission. And the reason verse 22 is important is because it lets us know that Jesus never expected us to go out on our own. He didn't lay the great commission at our feet and say, go accomplish this on your own. Go do it on your own. We are on mission with him. He is with us. And if we forget that, man, we saddle ourselves with a burden we can't carry. We're empowered by the Spirit, and he allows us to see people differently, to love people because they're created in the image of God, to have conversations with people and speak of the hope we have in Jesus. He empowers us to do that and guides us to people on our path. So let's recap for just a minute where we've been so far. God's ascending God. He sent Jesus. Jesus sends us. We are a sent people on mission to make disciples. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit for mission. And this is why this is so important. This is more important than it has been in years and years, maybe centuries in the church. We are living in a post-Christian culture here in America, right? I mean, what, what I mean by that is we live in a culture where there's no longer an agreed upon set of values and morality. We no longer live in a culture where people look to the church for values and ethics, which was the case in the past, right? People now perceive the church as having nothing to offer, nothing they think they need. In fact, when people who are not followers of Jesus think of the church, many are suspicious at best and think the church is evil at worst, that's just the culture we're living in. And, and what this means, and this is where everything starts to come together for us this morning. 
We can no longer just open our doors on a Sunday morning and expect people to join us because that's what you're supposed to do on a Sunday. For the most part, people will simply not make their way into our churches, no matter how great our teaching is, no matter how great our music is, and no matter how great our kids or student ministry is, they won't. I pray that comes back, but it's gone right now. Now that might sound like bad news to you. You're like, why do we even gather? But let me reframe it as good news. First, none of this surprises God. He's not surprised by this. And second, I'm just wondering if this cultural landscape presents an opportunity for God's gathered people. Right? If you're following in your notes, our cultural moment provides an opportunity to live as sent people who give themselves fully to Jesus' mission. It's an opportunity. Could it be that God has brought about this time to turn the church inside out? And instead of waiting for fish to jump in the boat, we go out and we fish for people. I mean, the time is prescient for a corrective for God's capital C church to be on mission by living as sent people. And it has everything to do with how we see ourselves. Everything to do. Can you see how important and urgent our role is? To live as sent people. I was at a funeral this past week for a lady named Evelyn Newell in our church. She was 101 years old. And a friend shared uh, at her funeral, Terry said this, and and I, I love this. Evelyn would thank God every day when she woke up. She would thank God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit for life. And then she would pray this, God, would you use me today for your purposes? Evelyn saw herself as a sent person. She is an example of how the kingdom of God is advancing today, one person at a time, living life as a sent person, on mission with God, even in a nursing home. She saw herself as a sent person. We need to see ourselves as sent people. So with our remaining time together, I want to provide a few thoughts on how we live this out. Maybe you're at the place where you're, you're, you're like, your you're toes in the water, and you're like, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a sent person. Where do I begin? How do I, how do I get started in this? So I hope to provide an imagination over the next few minutes of what this might look like in our lives. The first thing we need to keep in mind, if you're following in your notes, is being comes before doing. Right? I want to begin where Luke left off last week. We need to be properly formed. If you're, Following on the screen, Rich Velotis, a pastor in New York City, says this. This is so important. The deeply formed mission is fundamentally about becoming a particular person and offering that to the world. Deeply formed mission is first about who we are becoming before what we are doing. Our most effective strategy in reaching a world for Christ is grounded in the kind of people we are being formed into. So important. In a book that I'm finishing writing on parenting, one of my greatest burdens is this. The most important thing we can do for our children is grow into the likeness of Jesus ourselves. It's one of the most important things we can do. For our kids, for our families, our friends, our community, they need to see Jesus in us more than anything else. 
We cannot make disciples if we are not disciples. And if we go out and try to make disciples and we don't look like Jesus, it's going to go bad. We need to be deeply formed. And I love the good news that Luke shared with us last year or last week in the life of Peter. Jesus doesn't wait for us to be perfect before inviting us into mission. On the contrary, I would say being perfect disqualifies us from partnering with Jesus on mission. When you read your Bible, you will see again and again that God doesn't call perfect people. He calls broken people that are available. We need to be properly formed. So what does that look like in your life? What practices are you engaging in that intentionally place you in the presence of God on a regular basis? And as we're properly formed, we develop a gratitude for Jesus and the great lengths he went to to rescue us. And when we're deeply formed, it leads to this. If you're following your notes, we're compelled by love. We're compelled by love. Jesus' mission was fueled by love. A deep love for the Father and a deep love for fallen humanity. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Apostle Paul would write this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in the same way, it's the love of Christ that compels us. Jenny shared this with us in staff prayer a couple weeks ago. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We are compelled by the love of Christ. And what this means, friends, as we go out as sent people, we don't look for people that we can convince of anything or change. Right? People are not projects to be fixed. Right? Christ's love compels us, and we want to share that love for others. If there's any other motivation besides the love of Christ, as we go out and join him in his mission, then we need to evaluate our motives. We need to be growing disciples, not perfect, but growing disciples before we make disciples, and we need to be compelled by the love of Christ. Like We have internalized the love of Christ so much and the great lengths that he went to for us that we want other people to know that. That's our motive. And if we want to live this missional life, if you're following your notes, then we need to pray. We pray for opportunities to join God where he's already working. Right? We go throughout our day, we pray, and what I do is I just pray and then I stop paying attention. But we pray and we pay attention to who God might be putting in our path. We live expectantly and anticipate to join God in his work. And what this does, it changes a paradigm, right? We don't just go to the gym anymore. We don't just go to the store anymore. We, just, we don't just go to the park anymore. We are going, having prayed and stepping into that expectantly that God may bring somebody across my path. And this is so freeing. Because it doesn't require us to come up with grandiose plans to share our faith, right? To go back. It's not an add-on. One of our convictions here is we believe that God is always active and at work. And if God is already at work, then we can trust that God has already begun a conversation with someone long before we show up. We're just stepping into that. Many of us have family and friends who do not yet follow Jesus. We've talked about this before. 
We all have ones. There are some ones in our life who we love and we long for them to trust Jesus. The gospel of Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story about a shepherd who left the 99 for the one lost sheep because he was compelled by love and that sheep had incredible value and worth to him. That is how Jesus feels about the ones in our life who don't yet follow him. So what if we began each day by praying and asking God, God, give me eyes to see the ways you're already working and give me a desire to join you in your work. I'm convinced the reason we miss most opportunities is because we haven't spent time in prayer asking God for those opportunities. We Pray, and it gives us the eyes to see people, and it softens our heart to be attuned to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons prayer is important, if you're following in your notes, it's because the context of mission is our everyday lives. It's our everyday lives. Being sent out is most likely not going to play out in grandiose and monumental ways. It might. It might. There may be someone here today. I hope you hear this if this is you. There might be someone here today and you sense God is calling you to serve somewhere else in the world to be a global missionary. You just have this nagging feeling that he's asking you to step out. We'd love to talk to you about that. Most of the missionaries we support have been sent out from this church. You might be the next one. We'd love to talk to you about that. But for most of us, The primary mission field is not far away. It's in the routine of our everyday lives. It's living as Jesus, hands and feet in daily, small and faithful ways. What what if we adopted the mindset of a global missionary that God has placed in Springfield, Illinois and the surrounding community? Eric Simmons, a pastor in Arlington, Virginia, wrote this in an article about missional living. It, It just stopped me. He said, what kind of missionary would go to a foreign city, find a place to live, a source of income, where to buy food, and then kick back and just enjoy his surroundings and never meet the locals? We wouldn't call that person a missionary. They would be a resident. We need to be reminded that we are missionaries instead of just taking up residency. I think that just got me because that's how I live. I just take up residency instead of seeing myself on mission. And I love the picture that he provides and the reminder, if you're following in your notes, that we are missionaries, not just residents. Not just residents. And I'll say it again. The importance of this begins with how we see ourselves. Because if we don't see ourselves as sent on mission with Jesus, then we miss opportunities in our everyday lives. We just miss them. On September 3rd, 2020, on a road behind my house before work, I heard fire trucks and ambulances uh, early in the morning. I said a short prayer. Our family usually says a short prayer when we hear sirens. And then I left for work. Later that morning, I would go on to learn that an 18-year-old had been killed in a motorcycle accident behind my house. That afternoon, I drove by the crash site And there was a young man, probably a teenager, and he was sitting there. I could just see his shoulders heaving 
upset and crying. And as I continued to drive by him, I had a sense that I should go back and sit down next to him. That's it. Don't need to talk. Just go back, sit down next to him. And I kept driving to work. I was like the priest and the Levite that saw the man on the road in the story of the Good Samaritan. They passed him by because they had to get back to church. And I said that day, God, help me not miss opportunities like that again. I don't want to miss that. Help me not be too distracted or too busy to see somebody. Because if I see somebody on my path, it's because you put them there. They're not a distraction. And I've just prayed that over and over again. I need, we need to be reminded that we are missionaries, not residents. And the context of being sent and joining Jesus on mission is our everyday lives and the paths we find ourselves in. So as we close, let me give you just a couple ideas of paths in our everyday lives that God may be placing people. You, you may already have these and, and you know exactly where God's guiding you. But if you need some ideas, I hope to cover a large cross section of people here. First, most of us have neighbors. Our neighbors need the hope of Jesus. I just read a study that one in eight Americans know their neighbor by name and have had one conversation with them. What if this week, if we don't already know our neighbor's names, we introduce ourselves, we get to know them, maybe you bake them some cookies. What if we begin praying for them by name and serve them if we can? Our neighbors are a path that God has placed in front of us. Or your work, right? What if you saw yourself as a sent person and before going to work, you prayed for God to guide your steps and show you ways you might be a blessing to others? Right? We talked about this in the work series last summer. You pray for opportunities you have to share the hope of Jesus with those who desperately need it. And if your work is a stay-at-home mom or you're retired, you have paths as well. What are those paths that God regularly places you on and puts people on? What if we saw our work as a way of being sent? And then finally, the last one I, I want to speak into is high school and middle school students. Elementary as well, but primarily middle school and high school students. I just so want you to know that your school is a place that God places you every day to be a missionary. Every single day. And I want to talk about one particular place in your school that's unstructured and where kids feel lonely and lost, and it's the cafeteria. I mean, we, we've lived this, and I've heard from so many parents, the scariest time of day for freshmen, or as the new school year begins at the cafeteria, I can't find my friends, I don't know where to sit, I'm lost, and I'm lonely, there's multiple lunch hours, and my friends are in another lunch hour. What if you just went to school this week, and in the cafeteria you looked around, and, or in the hallways, unstructured time, and you looked for people who looked lonely, lost, confused, and you invited them to sit with you in your group. That's it. You would be living as a sent person on the path that God has placed you on, on mission with him. And listen, when you invite them to sit at your table, you don't need to get your Bible out of the backpack. You don't need to 
share the gospel right then and lead them to Christ in that moment, but you develop a relationship that's compelled by love and who knows how many gospel conversations that would lead to over the course of a school year. Who knows? But students, you are missionaries in your schools. So those are some ideas, but here's what we need to know. Those ideas never happen if we don't first see ourselves differently. They never happen. We have to see ourselves differently. So let me ask you, as we close, in the last line on your notes, do I see myself as a sent person and will I join Jesus in his mission? As you put your notes away, we're gonna give you just a moment to think about this for several reasons. We do believe God is always active and at work in speaking to us. And we want to respond to his message. In addition, we've rarely slowed down in life and think deeply on things. We're just busy. So we wanna provide you that gift of slowing. But during this time, just a, a couple things. What, what is God saying to you in response to his word? I mean, maybe there's something blocking you from being a sent person or living on mission. Just name that. Just name that. What's stopping you? And maybe for some of you, if you see yourself as a sent person, what face or name is coming to mind? What path is coming to mind that God wants you to walk down to join him? I don't know what the Lord might be saying to you, but we want to give him a chance to speak to us right now. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.